Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Wasted Attention. Today we have Noah Robinson from Bleed the Sky calling in. He was nice enough to give us some time out of his day, fill us in on what's going on with Bleed the Sky, um, how the album's kind of going along, how they're working on it. So it's it, it's a cool episode. I think you guys will dig it. Um, just a forewarning, I am not the best interviewer in the world. That's uh, that's more Animal's job. But we were missing Red and Animal this time, <laughs> so I kind of had to step up. And you're going to hear that um, I'm pretty nervous. And thank God Ivan was here with me to back me up and give me some moral support. Because I was shitting bricks, man. I'm not going to lie to you. But, uh, you know, Noah, Noah was so cool to talk to, real down to earth. Um, as the conversation goes on, you know, we kind of feel a bit more comfortable, kind of get a rhythm going. Uh, and, it's, and it's pretty good, you know. <laughs> if it sucks, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did my best. So without further delay, here it is, Noah Robinson from Bleed the Sky. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wasted Attention. I am joined with my buddy Ivan, and we got a special guest today, Mr. Noah Robinson of Bleed the Sky. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty fine. How are you guys? Uh, hanging in there, buddy. Uh, so, what? Uh, before we even get started, uh, I've been checking out Murder the Dance, man. I gotta say, man, I never paid attention as much, but you are killing the vocals on that shit, dude. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a that was a fun one to do. That was that one was more experimental vocally uh, for me than than our previous record, Paradigm. You know, Paradigm was kind of I don't want to say simple because it wasn't. It was pretty complex vocally too, but it it was more kind of straightforward. You know, I was either screaming or singing. There wasn't a whole lot of ver- uh, variety. It was just one or the other. Um, but yeah, I remember the dance. I tried to bring in a lot of like my metal roots, you know, growing up with like Crowbar and you know Pantera and Phil Anselmo and cats like that, you know, and Jamie Josta. That just kind of you know guys that I grown up listening to that have not just a, a scream, but like a lot of tonality to their scream. They were like hitting notes. You know, it was just it was really bizarre to me as a kid that vocals that could do that. And so I, I really worked a lot on trying to get that that style, that type of vocals down as, as well as I could. And I, I think I, I think I got it pretty close, <laughs> pretty close on that record. Well, anyway. Yeah. I'd, I'd say you hit it pretty well. Cause, um, just coming from struggling musicians over here on this side, man, like I can, I can hear the effort that you really put in some of those screams. I think it was murder the dance, that song specifically, where I was like, God damn, I, I really feel like his, uh, his throat's going to shred here in a second. You know, I don't <laughs> know how you keep it up. Man. Yeah. <laughs> You, you're right. Like that song, that song, that one, and uh, I remember struggling pretty, pretty hard on that one. And uh, I can't remember what track it is, what track number it is, but the the, the song, uh, the demons that could be, like those two. I remember just, yeah, like as close to shred my vocals as I've ever come. Um, but you know, it's like I always, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, well, how do you do that? like that consistently every night on tour and this and that, you know, I, I explain it like somebody that's training to run a marathon, you know, if you're training to run a marathon, you don't just wake up one day and run 30 miles. You know, you start out jogging a quarter mile and then you're gassed and you go home and then the next day you can jog a half mile. And then, you know, a week later you can run a mile and then a week later you can run two miles. So you, know, you build steps. up to that endurance. And I mean, back in the day, bleed, bleed we used to rehearse, five six nights a week for at least four hours i mean that's all we did we just lived and breathed in the studio um so and we were all pretty conditioned i mean i i remember seeing austin 
walk out of the studio after four hours of rehearsal, just intense, you know, him doing what he does behind the kit and he's not even sweaty, not even breathing hard, <laughs> you know, we got, we got re- extremely conditioned to be able to do that and drink our asses off while we were doing it. So right. it was yeah. a lot of fun. Fucking Preparing awesome. for the he's, road. <laughs> he's a, he's a beast within himself just on the drum. So yeah, it's, I that mean, guy's killer. To fill it out the way you guys do is just—it's crazy to have a whole band come together like you guys do, and it's—it's a, it's a special moment, I think. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it, it's so weird the way that me and that guy hooked up because when I met him, he was only—I think he was 19, and I was like 23, maybe 24. And we we hung out for like three weeks, you know, just had a you know couple mutual friends, and we hung out and we were like, we were telling people we were in a band together before we even had the band started just because our chemistry. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we hadn't even jammed together and we were telling people, you know, I'm telling people, yes, yeah, my drummer is soft. And they're like, what's your band called? Oh, we don't, we'll figure we it really out. Have a band <laughs> yet, but this is my drummer, you know? <clears throat> so it was, he just, he just, he spoke the language, you know, we'd talk about riffs and, you know, we'd, we'd sit there and like play air drums to Meshuga songs and, you know, just kind of use our mouth and do those little silly, like, you know, stuff like that. And he and I just spoke that language so well together. We were always just right in tune with each other. So it, it was really interesting, like, meeting that guy and coming up with him. He was already playing at that time, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd been playing for years, and he'd, he'd been in a couple, I think, one, maybe two bands, but they'd never even played a gig. They were just kind of garage jam bands. They'd never, he'd never played a live gig until... Uh, until he's with Bleed the Sky. But I'm telling you, man, he was as good as he is now. He was that good day one. That's like, insane. It's not, I mean, he's, he's, he's gotten better, but he was, he was absolutely as good as he is now. The first time I ever saw him play, I was just blown away. I was like, I've never been in a fucking room with anybody this caliber. Like, never. And to this day, and to this day, I still haven't. I mean, he's one of, you know, one of the best in metal, period. Right. I agree. Opinion. But he was always that good. From day one, he was fucking insanely good. Man. Uh, when you guys started jamming, did, uh, were you just, uh, do you play guitar at all? Like, were you writing riffs with them, or did you guys end up bringing a couple guys in? No, I, uh, we started out at, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we started out as me with me playing guitars. So I wasn't even a vocalist. Um, and it was myself and our other guitarist, Kyle. And our other guitarist, Wayne, was at the time playing bass, even though he was a guitarist, because we already had the guitarist, but we liked Wayne. We knew he was good, so we wanted to you know, have him involved. And we were like, okay, well, you can play bass for us. And he was like, okay, that'd be great. So. It was just one day of rehearsals, like, I don't know, third, fourth rehearsal, something like that. I took off the guitar and went outside to have a smoke, and Wayne took his bass off, picked up the guitar, and him and Kyle started playing with Austin. And then I walked back in, and another one of our buddies had picked up the bass, and they were all playing together. And Wayne was like, dude, you did backup vocals in your last thing, like you were telling us about. Why don't you just pick up the microphone and scream and shit, and let's see what, let's see what happens, and... I think like two days later we wrote skin on skin, you know, okay. it, just, it, it fell together so perfectly. Like all the guys were blown away with the sound of my voice. And I was too. I was like, I've never been a front man of a band. I'd always played guitar and then done like backup vocals. So yeah, long story short. Yeah. I, I, I actively wrote a lot of the guitar stuff on paradigm and murder the dance. And I, and I still do. I still, 
pick up the guitar and help write some stuff. And it, I think that helps a lot with the vocals too. If a vocalist is is a decent guitar player, then yeah, you get your melody down. Or riffs catering to how they're going to do vocals over it. You know, so it kind of gives you like a built-in yeah. rhythm or a sense of timing and stuff, or just feeling the the melody in in, in the riff. I would say, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't ever writing guitar riffs that were out of my range vocally. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I knew what I was capable of vocally, so I wrote guitars to kind of cater to what I knew I was going to be doing. You know, or what I might do later when it came to to writing the vocals. So it worked. It worked out pretty well because you know we did it on both records. So. Oh well, that's cool. Um. Well. Uh... When I first heard about you guys, I want to say our buddy who does the podcast cast, podcast with us, Red, he uh, he turned me on to you guys, and um, I want to say that was '09, so I was a little late to the party. Do you guys uh, do you mind walking us through kind of the beginning of how you guys all came together once you kind of all had that chord together? Yeah, yeah, like from the paradigm days, like the early yeah, days. Yeah, like uh, up getting that. Uh, I'd say probably you were on nuclear nuclear blast first, right? Yeah, is that what you yeah, guys were? We, okay. Yeah, just walk us through that uh, time period, getting that record deal and doing those uh, up to Murder the Dance. Yeah, well, um, man, the deal with uh, with Nuclear Blast, like we were we were ready to start shopping the labels. We had our we had our demo um, recorded out at Spider Studios, uh, you know, with Ben Shegel out there in Cleveland, and it was just like a four track EP, and we were ready to start shopping it. Well, we shopped it to like, you know, Intermedia and Metal Blade and, you know, all the big metal labels at the time. And Nuclear Blast was the one who came back with, um, I guess, the best of the shitty deals. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. every 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 record deal for a metal band is a shitty deal. I mean, there's no such thing as a good, you know, beneficial good one. But out of um, out of all those shitty deals, Nuclear Blast had the best, the best offer. So, um, and we, you know, us being naive kids, we didn't even think to to hold out, shop around, or anything. We we're just like, my sugar's on this label with soil work. Let's fucking do it, you know? Like that's that's all all we really cared about. So yeah, we hooked up with Nuclear Blast, gave them Paradigm in '05, and then uh, had a pretty big lineup change uh, right after Paradigm. Kyle left the band to go uh, back to school to uh, work in production, and, and now he's a big time producer out in Hollywood. He's very, very successful now. But That's at the good. same time uh, that he was leaving Wayne, our other guitarist, uh, he had gotten really, really ill on tour, like almost died on one of our last tours that we went on for the Paradigm record. Uh, he got really, really sick. Um, not drug-related or anything like that. Like, it truly got an illness that almost killed him. Uh, and so we just kind of took a step back for a little bit and you know, end, end of the day, it was just me and Austin, and we were like, fuck, man, what are we going to do? Like, we're going to, either this is it, and we did one record, and we're done, or we, we can rebuild and, you know, try to keep going. And he was very, very persistent he, that he wanted to keep the name, and he and I could just rebuild and bring in other musicians. And so we did that, and it took us a little bit longer because we also relocated from Southern California to Oklahoma, where I'm from. Um just, you know, cost of living was easier and, you know, just every, it wasn't as stressful as being out in California. It was terribly uh, difficult to stay afloat out in California. So we just decided to relocate here. Well, anyway, that, you know, during all that time, we were also writing Murder the Dance and recording Murder the Dance. So it, it took a little while. Um, you know, we had about a three-year gap between the two records, but then we put out Murder the Dance in 08 and toured for 
almost two years on that before we decided to hang it up. Uh, you know, we never officially like called it quits or split. We just, you know, we at that point we were all, you know, family men and married and we had children that we weren't, you know, there to raise, you know, we were just always gone and on tour and it was really taking its toll on all of us. So that was kind of the reason for us so life uh, going our separate <laughs> ways. So. Yeah. Just, uh, just that life, the 30 year old lifestyle, I guess <laughs> catching up to everybody. Yeah, it, it does. I miss it, man. I, I there's not a day goes by. I don't miss it, but I, you know, I know I would be missing my kids more <clears throat> than, than I ever miss tour. So. Yeah. There's a, you'd never get that time back. You know, you could always kind of tour maybe here and there, do a few spots during the year, but you, you never want to miss like the birthdays or the important things, you know? Yeah, and that's that's just it. We were we were missing everything. You know, we were missing the you know little league games, the Christmas parties in their classrooms, the you know sleepover. Like we were missing everything. So we just thought it'd be better to to take some time and kind of recollect, you know, in our personal lives and this and that. And wasn't married, kids, or have children on the way or anything like that. So you know, that's why he just kept on. And, kept doing what, uh, what he does so it worked it worked out well for him <laughs> you know so uh you know you mentioned the, the record deals were they as bad back then as they seem to be nowadays I, was there such thing as a 360 deal back then or were they trying to get a piece of everything oh no yeah i mean they're with i mean with any labels whether it be you know pop music or or metal or country or whatever. I mean, they're not there to make, to make you rich and famous. They're there for them, period. And if, if you're in a popular enough genre and happen to be marketable enough, then sure, along the way, you know, you could make, you know, make your millions. But, you know, in, in metal, there's, there's, there's just not a market for it. I mean, you have to truly love doing it to do it as long as, a lot of bands do, you know, like us. Uh, I mean, you just, you have to have a passion for it. You can't care about the business. Or I, 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 no, I take that back. I mean, you have to care about the business, but you can't let that be the only reason you're doing it or you're in the wrong business. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, record label, record deals now from what I've seen, because we've kind of talked around to different labels about, um, you know, shopping this new record out and just doing like a one album, two album deal type thing. And, I think the, the, the record deals that, that that we have been offered and, and have come back to us, at least now, I don't know if it's because we were already established at one point or if it's just a change in the business because of the, the you know, digital media and things like that that we didn't have 10 years ago or 15 years ago, that uh, the, the deals seem a lot better to me now than they were then. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can get away with doing a one or two album deal now, but back when we signed with Nuclear Blast, we had a six album deal. Oh, holy shit. You know, wow. like, yeah, it was, and it was, the percentages were terribly, terribly skewed. I don't, I don't know that the percentages have gotten any better, but as far as like the length of you being tied down to one label, it, it sure seems to be a lot better now and a lot more beneficial now than it was, you know, back when we were originally getting into it. Okay. So what happens like if, uh, like say, like, cause you guys put out two albums with them. Like were they were they were they pushing for like another one or like what happened with that where with with the record with the record deal like well basically what happened with Bleed the Sky is um, Nuclear Blast sold after after they saw that we 
weren't um, that that we had split and that we were kind of you know officially down uh, for the count, then they ended up selling our contract to another label uh, for pretty cheap, hoping that that you know that label was hoping they could kind of resurrect us and and get some you know get some uh, backing behind us, trying to motivate us to to get going. But you know, obviously, it didn't really matter what label we were on. We just we needed to take some time off, but uh, um, I mean, they 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 definitely did what what they were supposed to do. They they came after us for a while, trying to get us to do more stuff, and we were just like, we can't, like, we don't have time, and yada yada, this this that and the other, whatever. Um, but after a while, you know, as any label would do, they dropped us because we weren't producing anything, so we're no longer contractually bound to them. I mean, it was a smart move on their, on their part. I mean, they're, you know, they're they business. didn't have any financial obligations to us anymore from that point on. And we're not tied down to them. So it, it worked out for both parties. It was the best thing for both of us to, for them to just drop us. So. Okay. That's cool. Cause I didn't, I wasn't sure if they were like, okay, well you owe us now for like a breach of contract or something like this. So that, that's cool. Oh, we, that did. Go, we, oh, we really? did. I mean, we, well, we didn't owe them for, for prospect albums, like future records that we didn't, produced for them but we owed them for money that they needed to recoup for you know like tour sport and uh, publishing and things like that money that they had fronted us for the previous two records so right because yeah, it's kind of like a loan they were still going to recoup that money but no they at least in our contract i don't know how it is with some that might be a thing but with ours there was nothing they could come after us for for future records that were never delivered type gotcha. thing you know it was nothing like that so now um now, what kind of sparked uh, you guys getting back together? Was you said it was mostly just the, basically just the love of the doing the music and shit again, right? Yeah, and you know, like I said, we took we took time off originally, you know, for for kids and you know family life and just needing to needing to get our heads back on straight. And it just it, it took a long time before you know I I just started missing one day. I I came home from work one day and I just told my wife, you know, I. I've been just a terrible mood, felt depressed and just in a really bad mental spot for, for quite a while, but several months. And I, I just came home one day and told my wife, I was like, I just, I fucking miss it. Like I need to do something. I need to do something in music and metal. I don't even know if it needs to be believe the sky, but I just, I need to do something. There's a gap there that, that, that needs to be filled and that it just, there's just this hole, you know, yeah, you need that like release. a rotting hole in, in my stomach that, nothing else is going to fill that, you know, and I need to do something to kind of ease that pain a little bit. And oddly enough, like probably a week, maybe two weeks after I told my wife that my guitarist Wayne called me and I was finally open to, to hearing him. I mean, him and him and Austin never stopped calling me, you know, they'd call me once a month, dude, let's get the band back together. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I fucking can't dude. I don't have time. But this time Wayne called me and, He's like, dude, let's get. How do you feel about getting back together and doing some shit? We don't have to tour. Let's just work on a new record and this and that. And I was like, okay. And he was like, what? For real? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm I'm ready to, man. I need to. So it just kind of the timing just worked out. You know, our kids are all getting older. You know, our kids are, you know, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen years old now. We're back in the day. You know, they were two, three, four years old, and we're missing everything. Well, now we've been here. Now they're getting older, so it kind of frees up a little bit more of our time to be able to devote to it so yeah the timing's just right you know like my kids are the same age as wayne's kids same age as dave's kids same age as kevin's kids like all of us have kids that are from eight to 12 years old so 
it, the timing, the timing just worked out perfectly. It was like the perfect storm. Everything just aligned and we were all ready and hungry to do it. And Kevin and, uh, Kevin and Wayne and Austin had already been doing, you know, uh, Solus Dias, their death metal side project. They've been doing that for a while. And that kind of, kind of fell apart on them and they were all wanting to continue doing shit. So that's when they hit me back up and said, dude, let's, you know, we got a lot of material already written. Um, let's see if we can work on that and, you know, bring bleed back and, and use some of this new material. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of where we are now and everybody's, everybody's on board. Everybody's a hundred percent. Austin obviously has, um, uh, you know, other obligations that take priority from time to time. Um, yeah, he's with so, Devil Driver that, right now, right? Well, yeah, that, yeah. I was gonna say, uh, Austin. Like, um, now that everybody's kind of in, you know, ready to do this. Like, how do you make the time? Because Austin, yeah, like you're mentioning, it seems like he's got a lot of stuff going on. How do you get everybody together now that you guys are ready and got a goal in mind? It, it's, uh, it's not been easy, but we don't. Um, we've only all been together in the same room twice in the last three years. Um, so what we're doing, um, like Austin and, uh, Kevin and Wayne went out to spider studios and they tracked all Austin's drums. They tracked all the scratch guitar stuff for the, uh, for the new record, um, last year. And so they did that. And then when they got home, Kevin edited the drums, Kevin and Wayne are retracking all the guitars, the bass, and then they send me stuff to my house, uh, and I've got a studio here at my house and I've been tracking my own vocals here. So, I mean, we're, we're spread out all the fuck over the place. Like Austin and Wayne are in California Dave and Kevin are in Oregon and I'm in Oklahoma. That's awesome with so, technology now that you guys don't even have to be at the same place to record. Somebody could be at home and record from home and send, like email it to someone else or Dropbox it to someone else and they have yeah. their stuff. It, that's some that's awesome a, that's stuff. Exactly, that's exactly what we've been doing. we got a Dropbox account set up and, and then Kevin and I, I'll track vocal stuff here at the house and I'll mute the other tracks and just bounce the vocal tracks and that vocal track to Kevin. He inserts that vocal track, you know, into the song and creates a new track and boom, he's got vocals on and then he can start mixing it and doing whatever edits he wants and all that shit. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a lot different than anything I've ever done because, you know, we were a very organic band back in the day. We were five, six days a week. Like I said, you know, five, six nights a week, we were in the same room together always jamming and things like that. So we're not, we're not able to rehearse like we used to, um, which is going to definitely limit uh, our, the amount of touring that we could do, because I know if we decided to go on a tour and got something booked, which we don't have anything yet uh, planned, but when we get to that point, I mean, shit, it's going to take, I mean, not only are we going to have to take time off work for the scheduled tour, but we're going to have to take off at least a week ahead of time you know, for rehearsals, uh, just heavy, heavy rehearsals, if not more, um, before we even go out. So it's, it's different, uh, than it ever was, but man, the, the shit we're writing is, it's still there. I mean, you can, when, when you hear this new bleed stuff, it, you can tell it's bleed the sky. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, it's, it's evolved and it's different, but I think part of the evolution that, you know, got us to here is the fact that, yeah, we're not all together and, and yeah, we've led separate lives and, you know, uh, and this and that. And, but now we're doing it this way and it, it, it works out and it's pretty cool, man. I, I like the ease of being able to, you know, if I get home and I've had a rough day at work and I don't feel like doing shit, I'm not going to record anything. But, you know, if you have studio time locked down, it really doesn't matter. You, you have to, Yeah. you know, you're paying, you're paying for it. So this way it's pretty convenient being able to 
just come home and, hey, man, I feel good. You know, tell my wife, hey, I'm going to be back in the studio for two, three hours working on some shit. Okay, cool. And, you know, I can kind of go and just track whatever I want to track and then send it to Kevin and he starts working on it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, once you hear, like, what you guys are doing, it, it gives you that boost. And it makes the stress of, like, worrying about work. Am I going to be able to get off for this day? You know, we got this tour coming up. You know, I, I it just makes it all worth it in the end when you kind of hear that product and what it's what it's shaping up to be. Yeah, and, it, and man, there, there's not – I mean, you know, if you can afford to get into a, to a good studio, members of the band that, you know – if you're not if you're not blessed to have a member or two in your band that have their own studio set up and and are a decent engineer and decent producer, then you know it's a hundred percent worth it to get into a studio with with somebody you know like Ben that knows exactly what the hell he's doing and just let him work his magic. But man, our guitarist Kevin is just phenomenal at this shit. Like the the quality of production that he's putting out right now is just unbelievable to me. It sounds like the the recording quality sounds more like paradigm uh to me on the new stuff but the writing style is more like murder the dance so it's more aggressive dirty heavy like murder the dance was but it's a lot cleaner it's it's very well polished and sounds the production levels a lot better like paradigm was so yeah that's one of the things i noticed about murder it just didn't have the sonic quality that i think that really captured what that album was about you know what i mean yeah, I and I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I I prefer the productive production value of Paradigm to Murder the Dance, but I heavily prefer the songwriting and the music on Murder the Dance to Paradigm. Like Parad- Paradigm was us more trying to figure out kind of who we were, um, you know, and experimenting with some different things. But Murder the Dance was okay. We know exactly who the fuck we are, and this is what we want to sound like. So. It was a more refined, it was a lot easier writing Murder the Dance than, than Paradigm. Paradigm, we were like, okay, well, can you play a solo? I've never heard, oh, okay, you can play solo. Like, you know, we're, <laughs> we're still trying to figure out what we were all capable of on Paradigm, but Murder the Dance, we, are, we, we knew by that time, so it yeah, came a lot easier. Established. But, you know, we kind of wanted Murder the Dance to have that, like, you know, Lamb of God as the Palace is Burned vibe to it. You know, kind of a more of a dirty garage punk rocky sound, you know, just real raw, real dirty. Um, but unfortunately, not, I think it was too much, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't clean enough. Um, and that, it, that's pretty disappointing when, when you put that much time into something, expect it to sound a certain way and the finished product you get doesn't sound like that. It's, it's pretty disappointing. So that's, that's something that, that we, we don't ever want to happen again. Like if, if it takes us two more years to get this record done, then that, then it takes us two more years. We're going to be happy with the finished product either way. Um, cause we don't have a, we don't have a label anybody telling us what to do and how quickly to do it. So we're just taking our time and making sure everything sounds good. You guys recorded murder with Christian from fear factory, right? Yes. Yeah, we did. Uh, he did all the production and engineering and then, uh, and all the recording and then Ben Siegel mixed it. And at that point, it sounded fucking great. It sounded exactly like we wanted. We wanted it to be dirty and raw and aggressive, and Ben nailed it um, based on what Christian had, had recorded. And then the mastering step, it just got fucking butchered. We went with some dude that didn't know what the fuck he was doing, but it came recommended from somebody at the label. Hey, I know this guy. He can do the mastering cheap and blah, blah, blah. So we went that route, and we it, 
we absolutely shouldn't have. Um, that was kind of the, the Achilles heel for that record was the mastering. So yeah, everything, everything up to that point sounded great. Um, and it still does. I've got the rough, the rough tracks, the, the unmixed tracks, the mixed tracks, all of them sound good every step up to the mastering and the mastering just butchered it. And it just sounded, now I listen to it and I just cringe and I fucking hate that because the songs, I feel like we're so good yeah, on that absolutely. record, but it's, it's just, it's sonically difficult for me to listen to. Really? Yeah. Well, it just goes to show that it, it just helps to have somebody that kind of intimately knows what like the band and what you guys are going for, as opposed to like, Oh, well, we're just going to trust the label to kind of take care of this shit and get somebody that's recommended. You need somebody that's in there with the band that knows like we all have the same goal in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think, I don't think we're farming any other step of this out to anybody. Um, Kevin and I are doing all the mixing. Uh, he's going to do all the mastering at the end of the day. I mean, we're doing it all in the house. It's going to save us a small fortune in studio bills and production fees and stuff. But again, the quality, if he wasn't able to do the quality that we wanted, then we would still be going to a studio and we'd still be doing it the, you know, the traditional way, but he's capable of doing all these things that we would just be paying somebody else to do. So we're very blessed to have somebody in the band that has that ear and that, um, that, you know, that tech savvy personality and he's extremely articulated and patient, which I'm not, you know, I want to hear the finished product tomorrow. I want it to be done, but he'll sit there for six hours and just EQ the kick drums, you know, I like just getting them perfect and just the, the exact way we want them to sound. So, you know, we've got a good, uh, good system of people in place to do exactly what we need to do for this record. Especially if you got that guy that knows what they're doing. Because, uh, I mean, with the technology in 2019, it, it's amazing what we can do. It, it almost seems like what can an, what can a major label really offer most of us metal bands, you know, that don't really have the draw, maybe like a five-finger death punch or whatever, like just these tight-knit communities. Exactly. What can they offer us, you know, that we really can't do for ourselves besides maybe like a distribution? You just, you just answered your own question. I mean, <laughs> even, even at that distribution for what physical copies that nobody's going to buy, you know, I mean, uh, physical copies are a thing of the past. Uh, if they aren't absolutely, they will be soon. Um, we've, we've spent a lot of time myself, my guitarists, both my guitarists, Kevin Wayne and Wayne's a, a business guru. I mean, this, this is what he does for a living. He, he buys, he sells, he's a very business, uh, educated dude. So we've done a lot of our homework and research and yeah, like I said, you answered your own question. There's absolutely nothing that a label can do for you in a band right now that if you're not willing to work your ass off, you can't do yourself. Like everything from, from, you know, from the digital plays and digital ads to starting your own YouTube channel planning for ad rev. So you generate, you know, generate money through ads and things. I mean, a label, uh, all a label is going to be is another piece of the pie that you're having to pay to somebody else to do shit that you could do if you put forth the effort. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work, but it is absolutely doable, and that's the way we're going to do it from now on. We're not, we're not going with a label. You know, there, there's some steps of it that you need somebody. You know, like we, we will need to stay tight with our, uh, you know, our booking agent, and some of these people you need for their connections, and it's worth paying. A percentage to certain people, but a label is not one of them. So, and that and that and, that, and that's completely. Uh, and I can tell you, if you guys want to talk more about this, 
outside this podcast, we certainly can. It's not that I don't want to talk about it on the oh, podcast. Right. But this is a conversation that could last well <laughs> over an hour of things that I could tell you that we have been pointed in the direction of doing this, try this, do this, try this. You know, watch watch this guy's seminar YouTube videos that he does to, to show people how to generate, you know, Facebook ads and how to get more viewers on Facebook Live and just all these different things that are there that are at your fingertips that if you do them in the right combination are as good, if not better than anything a label would ever do for you. Yeah, dude. Any help is welcome because <laughs> we're trying to do this yeah. off, the, off the cuff ourselves and yeah, it's quite a, quite a bit. And, and I, I don't mind. And uh, what I can't tell you, I can point you in the direction to talk to a dude that um, is worth. I, I mean, and we've paid the guy as a consultant um, to say, you know, Joe, we've known you for 20 years. You've known us from day one. Now Joe professionally advises bands and consults bands, and that's this is what he does for a living. So it's worth it's worth the money to to hire a consultant if just for an hour or two and, you know, a couple hundred bucks and just talk with him. And he can email you a full breakdown of this is your plan of attack. This is what you guys need to do moving forward in these steps. You guys need to delegate each band member to take on something so that not one person is doing everything and things like that. And it's already just leaps and bounds helped us uh, with, on our business side more than we ever, ever did in the past. Well, that's awesome. Well, I, I think you guys got it like a, a step in the right direction because I, you know, I see you guys trying to do all these things. You're trying to connect to your fans based on, and you know, Facebook. You're doing the messenger thing. You got your mm-hmm. the podcast you were doing. Um, I, to me, I think the success nowadays it's just building a community that, like, just the diehards, just the people that obviously care about your music and just trying, trying to make it through there. Because I don't know any other way sure. to do it. You know what I mean? No, I was saying sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, <laughs> being these smaller, like, you know, us being like an amateur podcast, you know, try to do music on the side. It's just like, you got to figure out where to go and you just, it, it's hard building that fan base, but I think you guys, you know, you guys, guys kind of have like a built-in fan base to kind of fall back on and hopefully you kind of reach them and that's who he's going to support you throughout these tours and shit. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt having the fan base that we had, but what did hurt was the length of break that we took you know obviously you can't just come back after 10 years and expect all of your fans to still be there you know, a lot of people have you know their ears are different and music is different now than it was and they're listening to different things you know and uh, i'm guilty of that you know i don't i don't listen to our style of, of metal anymore i've gotten in heavily into you know black metal and death metal and things like that things that i never listened to before um so i mean everybody's ear changes and you evolve and things like that. And that's to be expected. But, um, with the evolution of the band going forward too, we also appreciate, you know, the evolution of metal and we're going to try to appeal to that newer generation of ear as well as our, you know, our old school dedicated fans that want bleed the sky sound. They want the old school. So we're mixing, a little bit of both. I mean, this the new record's got some more death metal uh, type stuff in it that we never did before. Um, so, yeah, it's just it. Anything you can do on social media—that's the key. Like that—that's. I mean, try putting your phone down for an hour, and not checking it. Like people lose <laughs> their fucking minds if they can't find <laughs> yeah. their phone. Yeah. So, and it's because it's because of social media and nothing else. No other reason. You're not even checking your phone anymore to see if you have a missed call. 
you know, you're checking your Facebook page, you're checking your Instagram, you're checking Twitter, you're, you're checking all these social media platforms that that is the key to getting fans. It's not putting flyers on cars anymore. Like we used to do back in the day. It's not, you know, going to metal shows and just walking up to complete strangers because they're wearing a machine head t-shirt and going, Hey, check my band out. Here's my demo. I mean, that, <laughs> that's just not the way it's done anymore. It's so insane how things change. Yeah, you have to utilize these social media platforms and be able to use them all um, cohesively, use them all together. You know, it's, it's absolutely the way to do it. And if you can't do that, then you're just, you're, you're beating a dead horse, you know? Well, uh, I meant to ask you about Spider Studios. Uh, you know, we know that because uh, the guys in Chimera, you know, watch that DVD. We know, we know of Ben Shiggle because of them. Uh, what, what is it that brought sure. you guys to there in the in the first place? Was it that kind of connection? Um, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't get that connection through Chimera. We actually got our connection with Chimera through Ben. So it was kind of backwards. Um, we met uh, a guy named Tom Hazard, who now works with uh, EMP with. Uh, make it that space player. They run the EMP label together. Um, but Tom Hazard was friends with Ben and would do a lot of, uh, I guess, scouting, if you want to call it that for Ben, like he would find bands that were in the position like we were in where we needed a good recording to be able to shop some labels, but we didn't have any connections type thing. So Tom had heard of us, Tom approached us and hey, I can get you guys a hell of a deal for like a four track demo very small percentage for me. I mean, it was, it was a great deal. So that's kind of how we met Ben was just Tom and Tom lived out in LA at the time. And that's where, you know, we were in South, you know, South Orange County, California. So that's kind of how we got that connection. But Ben and Tom had known each other for years and years, like back in Chimera before they were even signed before their first record even came out. Tom was, you know, actively a part of the Chimera family. So it was just, yeah, it was kind of random. Like, we didn't really know any of that when we met Tom. But then when Tom started talking about Ben, we were like, okay, we've never heard of this guy. But then when we got out there, we realized, like, through talking with Ben, that he was friends with Chimera. They're all from Cleveland. And then we found out, oh, well, this guy actually recorded, like, all the old Chimera stuff, like, all their demos, all that kind of shit. And right as we were recording uh, Paradigm out there, Chimera had just finished up recording uh, their second album dehumanizing process or no what was the name of that record it wasn't was that uh, it? possibility of reason uh, i can't you, remember you but, mean uh, the, the second major one right uh, impossibility of reason yes impossibility of reason thank you yeah they had just wrapped recording that with ben and then we went in right behind them and started recording paradigm so you know then ben called and called the dudes from chimera was like hey you want to come check these guys out they're pretty good and you know, you guys I get along well and, and we just hit it off. Like we ended up hanging out with Chimera at their rehearsal studio and watching them jam these new songs before the album was even out. And that's crazy. It was, it, it was, it was really cool to get to experience all that. But, and, you know, we've remained, you know, pretty close contact with all those dudes. I mean, you know, Austin was a member of Chimera for, for a while. And then Austin just got that side project with Rob called the elite. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, stuff. You know, so we've all, and you know, I just had, I had Mark on my podcast you know, a few months ago. I mean, he and I have remained, you know, buddies. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been, a, it was a really cool experience to, to make those connections like that. And we never, unfortunately never got to tour with Chimera. That was the odd thing is we were all buddies, but just it never lined up that we ended up touring together. That that was one thing I'd, I'd hoped we would get to do one day. I always told myself if I ever got my head out of my ass and we had like a a, a four CD or a four song demo ready, I wanted to do it at Spider Studios. I, I just think that'd be a cool experience altogether. But 
as you could tell, we started the podcast be. instead. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely would be, man. And I, I highly recommend it. I mean, Ben's raced her phenomenal and Ben knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't produce a whole lot of metal anymore. He does uh, a lot of pop stuff, a lot of, uh, uh, surprisingly like country music. He, he does a lot of that recording, but he still does metal. It's not that he doesn't, but there's just, as a producer, there's not a lot of money in, in, you know, recording metal and producing metal. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of money and more money in pop and hip hop and country production. So he's kind of doing a little bit more of that now, but he, yeah, he's still, like I said, we went out and tracked our drums out there with him for this new record. So, I mean, still in the mix and still actively doing it. Yeah. Cause we've been, we've been messaging with, uh, Rob Arnold. He was nice enough to reach out to us and kind of talk to us a little bit. Um, uh, is there any, do you guys, would, would you do any recording with him or could you have him do anything like that? Cause I know he's got his, um, his own studio kind of going on. Um, it seems like he's putting his, his albums out by himself now. I mean, I really think that's the way to go. Is uh, any connection with him? I mean, that's definitely a possibility. But uh, again, you know, our guitarist Kevin is capable of, of doing as good a production as I've heard in metal. So, you know, if we didn't have that connection, we would probably look more towards somebody like Rob you know, that has his own studio or even, uh, like Mikey from devil driver. He's got his own recording studio. He's a really good producer. He helps, uh, helps devil driver with a lot of the production. So, you know, we'd probably go more of a route like that. Um, if we didn't have Kevin, but again, you know, why pay somebody else to do what we can do in house for free. (laughs) Right. Right. So what kind of equipment do you work with? Like what what kind of equipment do you work with at home? Do you got like a, like a focus, right? Or you use other things or yes. Yes, I yeah I have a the Focusrite two or yeah the Scarlet two with the dual inputs because I like to I like to do weird shit too like I uh, I can't even remember the name of the microphone I've got because Kevin gave it to me some uh, some really obscure brand that's like just a ridiculously sensitive high powered vocal mic that's phenomenal sounds phenomenal is it like a T bone so or something channel, and then in my other channel I just got my my SM57 for you know just different sounds and things but then I don't like to use a lot of other weird shit too like I like to record with baby monitors and, you know, a paper towel <laughs> tube, you know, scream through that and it gives it a weird sound into a microphone. So I like to try <clears throat> and create a lot of natural effects rather than relying on Kevin to do some of the effects, you know, post recording. I like to try to do some of it live, but yeah, then just running, you know, my focus, right. Just into a, uh, an HP, uh, laptop that I've got. Um, and I'm running, let's see, I'm running, reaper right now oh that's awesome that's what pretty much what we use over here <laughs> yeah and my you know my guitarist kevin he does everything through uh logic logic pro because he's an apple dude but i've just got my pc so i'm doing it through doing all my vocals through reaper and then i bounce the tracks and i just send them to him and then he can import them into logic pro and it reads everything just fine so yeah it's 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 that simple i mean it, it, you know the most expensive thing that i've, that I've got was my you know, my SM57 and my Focusrite, that's, uh, that's the money I put into it. And then, you know, everything else is, you know, free free software and, you know, the mic stand and a, a bedroom, you know. So <laughs> right. Hell it's yeah. a pr- pretty, pretty basic setup, but uh, again, works, man, the sound right? quality that we're getting out of it's phenomenal. It sounds as good as anything I've recorded in the studio and, and spent a lot of money to do. I'm able to do it in my bedroom and get the same production quality. 
that's what I think is amazing about technology these days, man. It's like, it's insane what you can do at home. Like even like the stuff like guys do on YouTube, like you got your like Jared Dine yep. and all that stuff. And then like, then you got, you got, uh, drumming programs like, um, easy drummer or superior drummer. Um, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. Yeah. And, and Kevin, uh, my guitarist, he's a, he's a big fan of, um, all the periphery dudes and yeah. a lot of the plugins that they use um, are the same stuff he's using for, you know, bass tones and and uh, and things like that. So yeah, he's it, it, it is you know a lot of these plugins you have to pay for, but shit, at the end of the day, that's still cheaper than spending you know money on studio time. And then you so, own it, so you have it whenever the hell you need it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and and you you've got access to it, you know indefinitely just as long as you want it fair so you know three two three years from now when i'm working on the following album i'll still have the same shit so and there'll probably be better stuff you know and you know back in the day you go to a go to a studio to track vocals and everybody had this like fourteen thousand dollar vocal microphone you know condenser mic and this and that shit you can go out for 300 bucks now and buy a sure s7 you know and those things are bad. Those things are badass, and they're USB. You know, so you can plug it directly into your computer if you don't have a, a USB interface or anything. You know, it's just phenomenal the technology that we have now that you can get the quality of sound for as inexpensive as it is. Yeah, just knowing how to use the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you don't know how to use it, shit, everything's on YouTube now. Dude, All I was just about to say that. Some videos, and <laughs> fuck around with it. That's what we do. Yeah, dude. It's insane the amount of stuff's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, everything's there. I mean, there's if you can't if you can't figure out how to do something that you want to do with production, it's just because you're lazy. I mean, that, that's really the only reason because everything is available for free to be able to learn how to do any of this stuff. Which you know, which which what didn't exist, you know, ten fifteen years ago when we were doing it. So at at those times, you were kind of forced, you know, to go to a studio. Um, you didn't really have any other options. And now again, with technology and the, the low cost of it all shit, you know, I don't, I don't see any reason why we would ever go. I think in the future, Austin's probably going to record his drums on his digital, uh, his electronic kit that he's got. There you know, he'll probably, really he'll have ones. his own plans with his own drum sounds already. It won't be, you know, it won't be sequence drums. It won't be, you know, he'll still be playing it live, but that's essentially what you do when you record live drums. Anyway, you usually go in and, sample in and punch in snares and kicks over what the live snare and kicks sound like. You can't even hear the original anyway. So there's a that so yeah. superior drummer has a thing. Superior drummer three has a thing where you could put in the original like snare track or whatever and drop it in there. Mm-hmm. And then it'll, it'll um punch in their sound yeah. in there, like right on time. And then you could adjust the, the, that the so, attack. God, that is so, that is so, Cool and frustrating at the same time because I remember when we were recording Paradigm, <laughs> Kyle and I, or mainly Kyle, my guitarist, Austin would finish tracking the song, Ben would bounce it to a disc, give that disc to Kyle. Kyle would put that disc in his laptop and have to go into another room and he would sit there and just edit drums nonstop for like the rest of the day. That's all he did. Like every track that Austin got done, Kyle would spend about a day just editing the drums and you know, and Austin is an on-time motherfucker. He's like a, a human metronome. So yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of work drummer. to be done, but <laughs> yeah. it was just that we had to do it manually. 
back then and now to be able to just import it into like what you're saying, superior drums and it lines everything up. It snaps everything on a grid. You know, it does all that for you. And even if he accidentally uh, was out of time with the snare hit, you could drag it into time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. The only reason that, that this record is taking as long as it is for us to, to do is again, because we all, you know, have full-time jobs, you know, we're all full-time parents husbands, things like that. So our amount of time to be able to actually focus on it is pretty limited. Um, but again, we're able to be a lot more productive with that time than we would have, you know, 10, 15 years ago, definitely. What do you guys do for a living, like, outside of the music? If you well, don't mind. Uh, Wayne, Wayne and Kevin are in sales. They both work for a, uh, like an investment firm. So both both of them work together um, for an investment firm. Um, I'm not really sure what Austin does. I don't I don't know if he's got uh, like a full time gig or if Double Driver. I know Double Driver's you know paying him where he never was making any money previously in metal until Double Driver. So I think he's making pretty good money with them. But uh, and then uh, Dave, our bassist, he he's a restaurant manager out in Oregon. And then I'm. I'm a maintenance technician, like a building technician for, uh, I'm a state employee in Oklahoma. So I work on state buildings and do a lot of maintenance for them and stuff. Okay. That's cool. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're all just bankers hours, nine to, you know, eight to five, nine to five, but you know, it's five days a week and then you get home and you got all the shit you got to do at your house and with your family and stuff like that. So we're, we're, we're pretty limited on, on, uh, big blocks of time that we can dedicate, you know, to, to the band. But when we get, when we get that time, once again, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, but yeah, the, the production that we're, the productive value that we're able to, uh, to come up with, with the small amount of time that we're able to put into it is extremely better than it was and more efficient than it was. So, well, I mean, you know, you ain't got to worry this time. You guys can take your time with it. You're not, spending money every day like wasting time in the studio you know this is this is your baby project now you guys can do whatever you want yeah. make it whatever you want it to be and like just take your time with it <laughs> no rush yeah, yeah definitely yeah you're absolutely right and we love it um we're loving the process you know we'd rather take take as long as it is as needed and be happy with the finished product and not feel pressured you know which we don't so that's why we haven't uh, come out with an official release date yet or an official release date for a single because we're not quite finished with the single and we've got a you know video that we're working on for the single and we've got a lot of other things that we're trying to get in line so when that single drops there's a lot of things involved with it and it's uh you know a pretty big deal hopefully so um yeah we're, we're very happy at the at the pace that we're going right now for sure when do you guys think you might start talking about or uh like maybe touring or getting any dates in for touring, yeah. When do you think that that time is going to come to start talking and trying to figure that that part of the the end out? Well, we've we've talked a little bit about it, and if we do anything, it's probably going to be fall of this year. Uh, we're looking at we're looking at probably an early fall release for the record, hopefully. And then if we do anything, it'll be you know like a week at a time. Uh, we're not going to be able to do any two three month runs like we used to. Um, so we'll, you know, do a week run, say, 
you know, starting in California and working our way out to Oklahoma. And then, you know, a month or two later, we might do another week run starting in the Midwest and going out to the East Coast, you know, things like that. So um, unless we get in, offered any, you know, festival dates or anything like that overseas, that's kind of our plan. We're not going to we're not going to be doing any extensive touring unless the money is just extremely uh, beneficial for us. Um, so, yeah, we're going to, I mean, possibly late fall. Uh, I'd say if we're going to do anything, it would, it would, it would be looking like, uh, like November, probably between like Halloween and Thanksgiving, something like that. Hopefully. All right, cool. cool. Come out to Chicago around November 28th for my birthday and just play <laughs> a personal show. Oh, I appreciate we'd it. We'd love to, man. We'd <laughs> love to. We, you know, we used to play like West MD all the time out there. We used to play Pearl Room in Chicago. God, we loved it out there, and the response was always phenomenal for us back in the day. So, yeah, we uh, shock was definitely on our radar for sure. It's awesome. Do you guys like the Chicago pizza or Chicago hot dogs? I'm a Chicago hot dog fan. I don't like I don't like dish pizza. I like New York style pizza, like the big floppy. I call it the Ninja Turtle pizza. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm that pizza guy, but I love Chicago dogs. Like, And oddly enough, Chicago is the first place I ever ate a Euro. Oh, really? Um, yeah, we were on tour out there one time. My guitarist was like, oh, dude, you got to try one of these. And it was like from homeless-looking dude with a cart, you know, and it's like 20 <laughs> degrees outside and a foot of snow, and he's pushing this little shanty cart, selling Euros off of it. Had that big, like, wheel of meat spinning with a heater on it, and... It was, it, to this day, I've never had a Euro that good in my life. Like, it, it changed my life whenever I ate that thing. I was like, holy shit, this is good. Yeah, if you can survive the so. winter, man, we got the food that'll last you a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys, you guys definitely have, uh, you guys have it going on with the, with the dogs and the Euros and stuff like that, where Oklahoma's got damn good barbecue. If you guys ever make it down here, there's some damn good barbecue down here. Yeah, yeah, like I said, if you guys make it up here, we'll treat you out to some pizza. And um, some since you guys dogs. seem to be in a, a couple, you know, you're into games, so I was thinking maybe we could take a trip up to Dave and Buster's, do another uh, Wasted Attention versus Bleed the Sky gaming. Maybe we could record that show or something. That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be great because, uh, like I was telling you earlier through Messenger, uh, like Kevin and I are both pretty avid gamers, but we're on different platforms, so we don't ever get to play together. But we play, but we play the exact same games. You know, it's like. He'll be calling me going, oh, dude, did you get the new gun and Call of Duty that just came out? I'm like, fuck yeah, I got it. But we can't ever play together because he's on Xbox, I'm on PlayStation. But it seems like he and I are always playing the same games together. Like if I buy a game, unless it's a PlayStation exclusive, he'll go get it and we'll be playing the same game and and uh, doing it like that. So it's pretty cool. I enjoy it. But the rest of the guys, just they never have been big gamers, but I always have been since I was a kid and Kevin has been too. Shit, that's all me and Ivan do. Yeah, like, man. The other two guys in this thing, they're they're doing whatever the fuck they do. And me and Ivan's like, did you get this game? Well, I got Call of Duty. You going to get Call of Duty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call of Duty. We're talking to each other into yep. these fucking games we're never going to finish. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You yeah. got so and many the, games. The, the only new one that's out that I don't have currently is the new Red Dead. And the only reason I didn't get it, uh, my best friend bought it. He's like, dude, fucking best game I ever played in my life. But he was like you'll be playing this game for the rest of your fucking life. It's <laughs> infinite. Yeah, that's pretty much what it's going to be. And so that's why I didn't buy it. I was like, man, there's a lot of good shit coming out this year that if I buy Red Dead, I know it's going to suck me in and I'm just, I'm not going to want to play these other games, you know, like Resident Evil 2, that remake's getting ready to, to drop and I'm fucking like wigging out excited about that one. And then, you know, Last of Us 2 is going to come out later this year. And I mean, it's just, you know, 
there's a lot of good games that I'm that I'm big into, like a lot of first person single player games that I love that are, you know, coming out this year, you know, Days Gone and some of these post apocalyptic games, uh, that I just I'm really excited to get as soon as they drop. But I know if I have Red Dead I won't want to play anything else. So That's how I was with Skyrim. I held off on that. If I find it, you know, in six months for clearance for twenty bucks used at GameStop, <laughs> I'm sure I'll pick it up. But That's how you gotta I, do it. Man. I can't because I, I I fucking bought the thing. I played like maybe the first fucking mission. I got so many other things to play. It's it's just a waste. It's just collecting space on the fucking shelf. Yeah, yeah, and I I was afraid of that too. I, I didn't want to spend sixty bucks to you know to play a game that I was going to be bouncing around. Like I I just finished uh, Shadow of the Team Raider yesterday, and right before that I was playing the new Spider Man a lot. And, you know, both, both those games have new DLCs that just came out. So I'm like going back to those now and trying to finish all that shit. And yeah, I just, I don't have time for anything until Resident Evil 2 comes out. And once that comes out, I'm at actually some sick days from work and just stay home and play the <laughs> shit out of it. But have you tried VR? Like, do you got that? The what? The PlayStation VR. No, one of my friends bought, man, that, is, that shit is so expensive. I couldn't believe it. Like I say, it is. If they would bring it down, you know, to like around a hundred bucks or hundred fifty, I might buy one. But it's my crazy. buddy bought it when uh, Resident Evil Seven. Oh my god, I want to play this. They released the VR uh, yeah, version the version, of that. Yep. He bought it with the VR, and he called me like an hour, and he's like, "Dude, this is fucking my world up." Like, <laughs> I I shut the shit off, and I, I was horrified walking around my house because it felt like I was still in the game. <laughs> he said it was awesome. Yeah, dude, it, it's it's crazy how it is. Yeah, dude. man, we I, I picked it up for Black Friday. It was like two hundred bucks for like a bundle and shit. I went into debt for it. I just charged it on my card and event. Some someday I'll pay that shit off. Maybe not. What are they gonna do? Come take it? Sure, <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, thing. I've uh, I always wanted to, man, because like I said, the for for the type of games that I play too, like the single player games that I like to play, like, you know, Resident Evil 7 and, you know, Spider-Man, The Last of Us, Tomb Raider, like, those those are the type of games I really like. Um, I, I'm not real big into playing a lot of online stuff. Like, I like Destiny, and I, I you know, I love uh, all the Call of Duties and stuff, but then I get burnt out on playing the multiplayer stuff really quickly. I just don't play it too often, and then I'm ready to get back into my own zone. So, if I had, if I had VR, I would love it because I know it caters almost specifically to the type of games that I love playing. Do you like Borderlands? I mean, I never, I got into the first one, but after that, I just kind of fell off. Dude, that on VR is insane. It's crazy. I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that was awesome. And even jumping from the heights, you're like, oh God, <laughs> like the ground's coming. <laughs> Stomach turns and you pee a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, we both, uh, we usually play on Xbox too. Um, we ended up just getting play, uh, PlayStation. I always get the exclusives on there, so I'm all up to date with like all the single player story that you guys are probably playing too. We got uh just did yeah just oh, finished like, that Spider Man. Oh God, God of War, God of War that came out. Oh my God, that was so good. I haven't yeah. played that one yet. Yeah, I got it. You want? Oh my God, <laughs> that was uh that was un- undeniably the best game I've played in a couple years. Oh, it was good. But yeah, um. We appreciate your time. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you probably got shit going on, but um, let me see. We got a couple cool, questions man. from our buddies here, man. Let's see what we got. <laughs> oh, real quick. When you were talking about like some like off-brand microphone, have you ever heard of T-Bone? No, I haven't. I, I There's this YouTube channel called Spectre Sound Studios that I, I, I follow, and he compared the Shure SM57 to the T-Bone MB75. 
And the mm-hmm. he, and then he didn't like release until like a week later, like which microphone was which. They had an A and a B, and almost all the comments were saying that like sure was this one, and the other microphone was this one, and they actually were wrong. So like a lot of people that thought was the sure mic, it ended up being that T bone mic. And I've been looking at a lot of comments, and that T bone, the 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 SM fifty seven knock knockoff, theirs is like thirty dollars, mm-hmm. and it's almost just as good. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll have to check into that then for sure. Because, I mean, I've, I've had the same SM57 for years, and you know, it's 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 my Excalibur. I love it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely keep it. But I, I'm all about you know, if I could have 50 microphones and just play around with them because they all have unique sounds. That's what I want to. That's what I want to do. So yeah, I'll look into that for sure. I've never even heard of them. Yeah, T-Bone's got other mics too, but yeah, that that one. It, it might be worth picking up. Awesome. Hell yeah, man. Well, thanks for the advice. So no problem. one of our buddies here, Animal, he's the professional one out of us. This is like some 60-minute type fucking question, so I'll, I'll do my best to kind of break these down for you. But uh, Okay. Let's see. Uh, question the first. Where is the band now mentally as compared to when, when you guys first started? Uh, a lot more mature. Uh, our approach is, um, like I said, you have to be passionate about about metal and just truly love doing it in your soul or else, you know, there's just not a lot of drive to do it otherwise because the money's definitely not a reason to, I mean, you're in the wrong line of music if, if you're trying to make a million dollars getting into metal, but it's, it's, de- it's definitely, uh, our mental approach is a lot more, um, a lot more mature than, than it ever was in the past, uh, as far as, and not just the songwriting, but, like uh, our approach to each other, you know, back in the day, you know, when your buddies and you're all jamming together, last thing you want to do is, you know, hurt anybody's feelings. So you might not, you know, suggest something, something different because you don't want to, you know, hurt your best friend's feelings who's sitting behind that drum kit. Well, now, like we've all matured and, and grown into, you know, these versions of adults, as we call it, that, you know, we're, it's not that we don't care and we're assholes to each other. We know how to approach each other and we know what to, you know, the way to speak to each other and be respectful to where everything is transparent. Like, if they don't like something I've done vocally. They won't say, Xbox. they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll just refine it a little bit more and say, you know, I love what you did here, but maybe try it like this too and just see how it sounds. And if, if my idea sucks, cool, then, then let's do it your way. So, I mean, we just... We've learned we've got a lot more respect for each other than we ever did previously. I, I think our friendships and um, and our family bond that we have uh, internally in the band is far stronger than it ever was uh, and healthier than it ever was. It seems like you mature and like it's not so much about the ego anymore. You don't have anything to prove. You you guys are just kind of having fun with it in a better mental state. It seems like as you get older, you know. Yeah, it's not about the yeah, and I can. I, I think I think some of that is just sheer maturity, but also again not having, you know, this uh, big brother overlord standing over us saying, "Where's the record? Where's the record? Where's the fucking record? It needs to be done yesterday." Type shit. I mean, we don't have that stress, so the only stress we have is the stress we're putting on ourselves. You know, um, so yeah, it, it definitely um, lends to to just a happier environment, you know, and a happier workspace for all of us and. I mean, now when we're, when we're sharing songs and like little things have changed, you know, I'll share something with one of the guys, you know, or with the group, you know, and say, Hey guys, check the Dropbox. I changed, 
this one part of verse two in the song and they'll listen to it and they're like, fuck, that's cool. You know, where back in the day, you know, it would have been just showing it live to them in the studio and sure you can hear it and you can get a feel for it, but actually hearing it recorded, you know, you, you get to get to hear the finished version basically right up front. So yeah, I mean, we just, we're, we're really enjoying ourselves and we're happier than we ever have been with what we're doing and just not pressured at all. We're just going about it the, the pace that we enjoy and the speed that we want to do it. All right, here's the more 60-minute question I feel like he's coming with. <laughs> this is clearly a business that you all grind out daily between planning and running social media accounts. What are some facts about you guys that we don't know? And um, obviously you answered you guys are still holding down full-time jobs. So what are some facts that we don't know about you, buddy? Oh, you don't have to answer this. He's see. not here. We can, no, I can kick him in the ass. No, no, you're fine, man. The safe word cheeseburger, right? That's right. <laughs> um, I am an avid chicken farmer. Oh, really? I, yeah, yeah. I raise my own chickens and, uh, I, it might sound silly, but I fucking love them. I love them. Like most people love their, you know, their pets or cats and their dogs. I, that's how I am with, with chickens. I just, <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know how, I didn't, I didn't ever think I would be. And then when my wife and I bought this house, we've got a couple acres and had a big shed out in the back and we were going to throw a match into the shed because it's this old wooden, you know, like lawnmower storage shed. And then we decided to just basically make that the chicken coop and fence off an area around it so they would have a, an outdoor run. And we got into it and started buying. And every year I buy, you know, a dozen to 20 young chicks, you know, two, three day old chicks from, uh, from these stores, some of the corner stores up here that sell them. And I just, I raise them every year and they produce eggs and we don't ever have to buy eggs anymore. And yeah, it's awesome. Shit. You and Joe Rogan got something in common. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about the only thing. I'm not a heavy drug user, um, so. <laughs> which I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. I love Joe Rogan. I listen to his podcast quite often. So but yeah, other that's than that, cool, I mean, man. Have you just... tried DMT? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, you tried DMT? It's awesome. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, like, it, there's not, there's not really a whole lot that you know. And I, I don't want to divulge anything about the rest of the guys that they might be embarrassed about. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't mind shaming myself and pointing out that I'm not as metal and tough as I might appear to be. But <laughs> I don't want to throw any of the other guys under the bus. I, I want them to keep their metal persona and, and appear tough to everyone so yeah dude if they want to come on whenever they want do we usually get together on sundays we'll make something make some work if they want to jump in and talk bullshit with us and man it's really bizarre that none of the other guys were available like usually usually it doesn't line up like this like some somebody would have been available but literally everybody's like no i gotta work no i got family coming over no i gotta do this did anybody's heaters go out because uh apparently that's going around (laughs) yeah What's that? Uh, I asked if uh, any of your guys' heat went out because that's uh, that's one of our guys' problems today. So, oh no, in mine, I got a I got a big nice fireplace in my house, so I don't give a shit if the heat goes out. I'm just gonna keep throwing logs in it. There you go. <laughs> right. Um. So his third question: What's the best thing about Chicago? What's the worst? Would you say? <clears throat> um. The worst thing I think about Chicago was just the ungodly depths of cold that I've never <laughs> felt in my life. It was, you it know, it gets, cold. it gets cold in Oklahoma. It gets very cold in Oklahoma, but I've never been as cold in, as I was in Cleveland and in Chicago. Dude, That's Cleveland. 
Oh my oh. god! It's insane how any plant life even survives a winter there. It's <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. That, that, that's my that's my biggest thing. I love the snow, and I want a good heavy winter uh, with cold temperatures where I can light a fire and a fireplace and this and that and fire pit outside if I want. But fuck you guys is winter. You just don't want to die when you go out to the fucking mailbox to get your mail, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we went out to Camara Christmas, this past one, and it was, like, ungodly how cold it was outside in that line. Yeah. And it, it seems like every time we go to Cleveland, it is that cold, no matter what. Like, <laughs> it's middle of summer. Fuck, it's cold out here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, it's right there on Lake Erie, so they're just, they're constantly getting that lake effects, you know, Arctic chill wind and the snow and all that shit. Um, so yeah, the wet weather was definitely my least favorite part of Chicago. But with that being said, I loved the, I absolutely just loved the vibe, man. Uh, I can't even pinpoint exactly what it was, but just the atmosphere. I loved the people. Um, we loved the venues. Like the catering was always great at venues. The club personnel was always phenomenal and just took care of us. I mean, we just, even if the crowds weren't big, the uh, the personnel involved in the music scene there was just always extremely um, gracious and, and like respectable hosts to us. Like we always felt really welcome when we went there, so we used to go there every chance we we had. You know. Um, is there any absolute tour necessity item that you guys used to have or would absolutely need? A touring necessity item? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means either. <laughs> um, baby wipes. <laughs> yeah, our 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 rider, our rider back in the day used to be as much beer as you can afford, uh, two pizzas, a case of water, a package of clean socks, and a package of baby wipes. Yeah, typical metal writer, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty standard but like ours was just a bare necessity like this is shit we need to in order to function from day to day you know because especially back then like we we didn't make enough to be able to get hotel rooms we were you know just showering when we could so yeah you live and die by baby wipes hell yeah i keep them in my backpack yeah i don't i don't use toilet paper anymore fuck that shit (laughs) (laughs) um is there a band that you uh that you like that nobody would really expect Something out of the ordinary? Well, um, one that probably a lot of people wouldn't expect that I really, I really, I really enjoy 21 Pilots. Like I, yeah, I listen to the shit out of them. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I love their vocalists. I love their beats. I just, I love the vibe that that band has. They have kind of a dark vibe, but they're still real poppy and, I don't know. It sounds stupid, but I absolutely just love them. Um, but in metal, um, I'm a big fan of uh, Last 10 Seconds of Life. Have you guys heard them? No, I haven't heard of them. Oh, God. Yeah, you guys need to check them out. They just dropped their their newest album uh, two days ago, I believe, Thursday. So that'd be three days, yeah. Thursday or Friday, I think it was, they just dropped their newest album. And I'm really good friends with their singer, uh, John Santorino. And like, he was on my podcast one time and I just, I kind of accidentally discovered him, you know, while browsing through uh, Spotify and some metal playlists, I kind of stumbled onto him and 
I highly recommend checking them out, man. They're they're phenomenal, brutal, brutal metal band. I love them. Have you ever heard of the Interbeing? No. It's um, they're I want to say they're from Denmark. They're more like an industrial kind of a band. It's it's real heavy wrist, but it's got that a lot of electronics and shit. It's almost kind of Fear Factory to like the next level, almost not as far as technicality or speed, but just that kind of industrial sound. It's it's pretty fucking cool. Nice. The the intervened. Uh, intervened. I n t e r b e i n g. It's pretty badass shit. Okay. Intervened. Okay. Y'all have to check for sure. Uh, obviously, I brought up Pantera. I'll, we'll get to that in a sec. But uh, how about Alice in Chains? What? Uh, how do you feel about them? That's one of my, probably my favorite band of all time. If I'm being yeah. honest, but they were 100 percent my biggest influence. No shit. Uh, yeah, 100 percent. Uh, Lane, Lane's ability to write uh, songs, you know, like like the entire album, third, you know, like. Yeah, his his ability to write lyrics about being a you know a drug addict and that whole album is just a cry for help. But when you know when I was a kid and listening to it, I you know I had no idea what addiction was. I had no idea what heroin was. I but it, but all of his lyrics still emotionally spoke to me. Yeah, that's relatable in so some way. That really um, was exciting to me when I found out what he was writing about and that it meant something completely different to me than it did to him like that ability to relate your lyrics to your listener without um them knowing exactly what you're writing about it was just that that was one of the coolest art forms i had ever uh ever heard in my life not to mention i just i love dark music like I, it doesn't have to be heavy like brutal metal to me if it's not dark i won't listen to it like i yeah, just take I, Jar of Flies, for instance, you know what I mean? Fucking, it's an acoustic <laughs> album, but it's so fucking, just take I Stay Away. It, it starts off pretty and beautiful, then it gets fucking dirty. <laughs> Dark. Oh, yeah, I, I fucking love Jar of Flies. Like, it was, you know, it was like Jar of Flies and Dirt were were my two jams when I was when I was a kid. That's all I listened to. And then uh, when I was big into that, and, you know, my friend said, hey, you need to check out, you know, Check out this band called White Zombie, this album, Master Creep. And then, hey, this other band called Pantera, they just put out an album called Far Beyond Driven. And, I, you know, there was just so much good, dark, you know, heavy, just badass, brutal metal back in the day. You know, in those, like, early 90s, early mid-90s, put out some of the best metal, uh, really dark music that I, to this day, have ever heard. So, yeah, Allison Chain. I mean, their their vocal harmonies were always just haunting and just really the power dark. in his voice. I, I loved everything about it. Yeah, just take uh, the course to "Rain When I Die." How fucking powerful he is with those notes, man! You just oh, good God. luck trying to yeah. fucking do that, cover that fucking song. Yeah, I dare you try it. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you feel about uh, Will being in the band? Do you, you still keep up with the albums and shit? Man, I I I haven't liked. Um, anything they've done since Lane as much as I liked anything they did with Lane. You know, I just, I, I don't know. The, the vibe was different. The passion was different. The sound is different. Uh, you know, the lyrical content is different. I mean, you don't, it sucks. You know, you don't, you don't want to see your favorite artist go through addiction and, you know, 
suicide and things like this, but unfortunately that's some of the best content for, for, a, for a vocalist to write about, you know? It sucks. In metal, it, it's true, like, you need to have or, or, or have had, you know, some variants of pain and depression and abuse and, you know, emotional struggle and religion, you know, I mean, you have, those are all like necessary ingredients for a successful, powerful vocalist, lyricist and metal to me. And I just, I don't hear it in his voice. Like I heard it in Lane's voice. And I'm just, I, well, you yeah, know, see him live, that, that's one thing I thought was great. But even then I'm like, this dude, this dude can't relate to what Lane was going through. Yeah, you can copy the tone and vocals, but you can't you can't copy what it was about, unless no. unless you experience something similar no, yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I just I haven't followed. I'd still say they're my favorite band, but they're my favorite band from like self-titled album backwards. You know. Yeah. Well, um, let me see. Uh, I guess all I got left. Uh, do you want to share uh, your Pantera albums with us? I asked you if you got like a ranking of them or anything you want to share off of them. Yes, I have. I have my three. You know, I mean, shit. They only have technically major label records. Yeah, just the one. yeah, just make it like the top five, the the main ones. We we didn't do the the eighties ones on oh. our our podcast either. Yeah. Uh, my my top five in order is uh, Trenfill, Far Beyond Driven. Um, vulgar, cowboys, and then reinventing the steel. Is that from top to bottom or bottom to top? Top to bottom. Like my favorite, my favorite Pantera record is Trend Kill. Like un- undeniably. So I think, like that, that was that was when you could just hear the tension in the band. And again, it sucks, you know, that that a band went through what they went through, like with Phil being an addict and Phil and Dime not getting along. I mean, that was happening while they were writing and recording Trend Kill. But you could fucking hear you could hear it. Yeah, they were you sending the fucking music to Phil and he was in fucking New Orleans doing that shit. So you know, exactly. to be able to pull I mean, it off like that, it's crazy. You can I mean you can hear all of those emotions, not just in his lyrics and his vocals either. I mean you can hear it in the guitars. I mean that's that is to me their darkest, heaviest album. Like listen to that song Tens. Holy shit, that guitar riff is one of the most haunting things I've ever heard in my life at the beginning of that. It's one of my favorite so, guitar solos ever. Yeah. Oh my God. I like I I could I can put Trend Kill in and listen to it cover to cover and then just hit play again and listen to it over and over and then every everything else is in order. Like I said, like Far Beyond Driven was when I got into them um, in ninety shit. When did that record come out? Ninety four. Yeah, I believe so. I think so. Um, but yeah, that's when I got into them was when that record came out. And I, I saw him tour on that record with Filter and White Zombie, and it was just unfucking believable. But the only thing that I dislike about Far Beyond Driven was that it became as popular as it did. That kind of killed some of it for me. I mean, you can still turn on any rock station anywhere, and within 30 minutes, Pantera, you know, Bop is on there or Unbroken. You know, <laughs> see that's yeah, that's what did it for me on Vulgar. Like I heard walk so goddamn much, I was like, that's my weakest part on this album, just because of that. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and, and those weren't even my favorite songs. I mean, exactly. You know, like, I'm looking as bad as fuck. Five minutes alone, holy shit, strength beyond strength. My God, those are. But, but then listen to like hardline something. 
holy shit. Yeah, if you ask somebody like what your favorite Pantera song is and they come up with Walker, I'm broken, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you're not in it. You're not in it for life. <laughs> nope. Walk on no, home, I'd boy. Listen, I mean, I'd, rather, I'd rather listen to, you know, like Hardline Sucking Cheeks or, you know, or just, you know, I, I like some of the deeper, deeper cuts. Um, again, you know, just uh, slaughtered. Like, holy shit, slaughtered the most brutal songs ever written. It's so fucking good. And you and I've never heard that song on the radio anywhere, ever. You know. So again, yeah, that's that that's that's the only thing I dislike about Far Beyond Driven was how commercially popular it became, you know, like all of a sudden jocks were listening to fucking metal when they're lifting weights and shit, you know, and it just <laughs> yeah. like as like a, as an emotionally like rejected fucking kid that, you know, my aunt we had like two good buddies and we all had long hair and baggy pants and a chain on our wallet, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> To hear a band that we loved like that be played at our gym, where all football player jocks were like pumping iron in the off season, like it was, it was a big turn off. Yeah, you're like, no, fuck you guys. <laughs> What's that? You're like, no, fuck you guys. You guys don't even know. Yeah, so we, I mean, that's what kind of forced us into other shit. Because I mean, that was our jam. We listened to nothing else but Far Beyond Driven for the better part of a year when it first came out, and then you know we just kind of turned our heads over to like you know, White Zombie Astro Creep and then like Filter dropped their self titled record, which is one of the darkest records ever written. You know, and so but anyway, yeah, my my fa- favorite one hands down, uh, Trend Kill, without question. Yeah, we uh we tallied up all our votes. That was the one that came in at number one. And I think uh probably about the same thing that you said. Uh next was Far Beyond Driven, then uh Vulgar and shit, so <laughs> you're pretty much spot yeah. on. And I and I, I think I think they you know at her peak I think that was uh, as far as production and songwriting I think it was Trenkill. I mean they just they didn't have that same aggression and that aggressive sound on reinventing the steel. I mean there were there were some really good tracks on that album, but front to back it's not half the record that Trenkill was in my opinion. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We thank you for everything, uh, giving us this uh, opportunity. Uh, you know, hope we did all right by you. Okay, hey, man. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, we can do it again anytime, man. You guys just hit me up. We got, um, awesome. We've been talking about doing this uh, Metallica, like the early albums, maybe the first five uh, cut off being the Black album. If you'd like to join in, we're, we're going to rank those and uh, maybe talk about them, too. If you want to jump in, let us know. Okay, yeah. You guys let me know when that is, and we'll definitely... Uh, Talking to Dude, Rob Arnold too, so hopefully we'll get him. Maybe I could just get a bunch. Yeah, if uh, any of the guitar players, any anybody in the band that wants to jump in too, we'll just put this whole big fucking collage of like Metallica love in. Nice. Yeah, Wayne. Wayne would be a uh, a good person to get in on that. My guitarist. He's uh, he's a big Metallica fan for sure. Are you into him too? Pretty big, or does it matter anymore? <laughs> oh, a Metallica fan? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not not current. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anymore, but that's a whole another that's a whole another podcast. I think that's why we're leaving it to like the first five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? What kind of sucks was you know just the area. You know, I grew up out in the Panhandle, Oklahoma. We were just like completely disconnected from everything, so we had to like seek stuff out. Nothing was ever available for us. So unfortunately, like the first Metallica record I ever heard was the Black Album, and I fucking loved it. Yeah, that was but the first then, one I had too. Um, then I went backwards. You know, my buddy, uh, after we got the Black Album, he just, he loved it too. So he just went and bought everything else they had. 
he was like, holy shit, dude, listen to what this band used to sound like. Yeah. This is <laughs> and oh my God, I, to this day, and my best friend Aaron, he lives and dies by the sword, but to me, Master of Puppets is the quintessential recipe for how to write a fucking awesome metal record. Like, it is undeniably one of the most well-written, constructed, front-to-back, first chorus verse metal records ever written. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, funny story, like, I, I was probably about six or seven when the Black Album came out anyway. I didn't go back and listen to the other stuff until I heard um, probably the thing that should not be on S&M, out of all things. So I was like, what oh, the God, fuck is this? Too. You know? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's from fucking older shit. So I better go check this shit yeah. out. <laughs> then went 10 years of my life just fucking listening to Metallica. I believe the first was Black Album for me, too. But then I had uh, Kill Em All on a tape. I can't remember who I got the tape from. But I had a cassette tape of Kill 'Em All, and then I loaned it out to like uh, my cousin Lewis's uncle, yeah. which is my, uh, my one of my cousins, and I never saw it again. <laughs> Son of a bitch, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess, guess, well, guess what? Now you just open Spotify, and there it is. Dude, yeah, I love Spotify. Spotify is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, uh, let uh. Let everybody know uh, where to find you, man. Uh, if you, anything you want to promote, uh, websites, uh, social medias. Sweet, yeah. Um, I mean, we're on, we're on all platforms right now, and we're only putting more and more time into them. Uh, like our our basis, Dave handles most of our Twitter account. Um, Wayne handles most of our Instagram, and Wayne and I both uh, handle most of our Facebook stuff. So. Yeah, you can find us on any major any major platform, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Um, we're working on our YouTube channel right now and trying to get some stuff up and going on that. Um, and then my podcast should be uh, coming back for season two in hopefully, hopefully in May. My co-host is overseas uh, working right now, so that's why we kind of put the, put yeah. the podcast on hold. Yeah, I was listening to so that's That's when he's coming back, huh? Yeah, he'll be back uh, first week into April. So hopefully by May he'll be settled in and ready to uh, ready to get going again. Fuck yeah, man! Well, we almost took an hour and a half of your time, dude. We can't. Pre- we appreciate it so much. Thank you, um, man. Go enjoy life, no, man. We'll- stop bothering us. We'll stop bothering you now. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. <laughs> I, I love talking to to anybody who's you know appreciates what we do and. Without you guys, we we absolutely wouldn't be doing it. Like I really appreciate um, your guys' support uh, of the music and and moving forward, your continued support too, man. Uh, anything we can do to to help you guys out, and if you guys want us on the show, any of us that are available would be more than happy to do it. I right. appreciate you that. You might man. regret those words because we might hit you <laughs> up all the time, but uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. If, I, if we don't have time, we don't have time. But we, oh yeah, we'll it's okay. It. We yeah. barely have time, but uh, thank you and have a good one. So there you have it, Noel Robinson from Bleed the Sky. You know, the one thing I hope by doing this podcast is that we bring these metal communities together. We don't have the numbers that the fucking pop music does, the country music. You know, we, re- you know, if you're into the metal, you're in it for life. You live and breathe this shit. And even if we're not making the fucking music, I at least want to be part of the conversation. I want to hear people discussing about it. I want to be there to support it. And if you're from the Bleed the Sky camp and you're hearing us for the first time, please go back, check out some of the other episodes we got. You know, rate us, subscribe to us, like us. You know, even if you don't like the episodes, just let us know. You don't have to be a fucking asshole about it, but, you know, any feedback's welcome. 
And if you've been following us this far and you never heard of Bleed the Sky before, check them out. Give them a listen. Give them a chance. Um, I hope this inspires people to go out and kind of get to know the band and um, go buy the tickets. Go to the shows. Buy the merchandise. Support this because we need each other. And this shit ain't going to survive if we don't kind of rally around each other and support this uh, community and the scene. So, I don't know. That's my rant. You know, follow us at wastedattention.com. That's our website. All the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's all wasted attention. Stop by, show us some love, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.